If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. You are now listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk all things related to mental health, life lessons, and the culture. My goal is to help each and every listener pursue and center wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda, licensed clinical psychologist. Now let's get into it. Have y'all checked out my Amazon storefront yet? Listen, whether you're searching for last-minute date night outfits, perfecting your 4C curls, or delving into mental health books or enhancing your nail game, I've got you covered. Y'all know here at the Dr. Shonda Podcast, we like to serve looks and books. So make sure that you guys click on my affiliate link for a hassle-free shopping experience that supports my creation efforts. Elevate your lifestyle and your mental health today. Chanel, I have a question. What's up? Have you ever felt lonely in your entrepreneurial ventures and journey? Listen, that is such a real feeling, especially as a black woman, especially as an entrepreneur, especially as a kingdom woman trying to level up and move forward in my life. Listen, the the interesting thing is I hear that from so many different women. Yeah. So I thought it was the perfect timing for us to collaborate our entrepreneurial success and the things that we've learned along the way for kingdom women specifically. Listen, I'm so excited about this. So that's right. You guys are able to sign up today starting in October, our specific membership group where you'll have access to our knowledge on branding, marketing, how to sell, how to pitch yourself, how to, you know, apply the Bible to your business, applying the Bible to your business, uh, corporate fast, like all of those things, exercise your faith, so many different things. And above all, Chanel, it's great to have an accountability group. Listen, I'm really excited to be a part of a group of a bunch of people that look like me and we're all trying to get to the same place. And listen, and the fact that we're coming together doing it. Yeah. You know, I say this humbly. I've been thriving in full-time entrepreneurship for some years now. Yeah. You've generated millions for the sports industry. Yes. We have so many different skill sets that we are going to offer. Yeah. We're two separate powerhouses and we're coming together to build this membership for you all. Not only from a business and physical natural standpoint, but also a spiritual standpoint. Yes. I can't wait to get into the word I'm excited. entrepreneurship. I'm excited. The word and entrepreneurship together, Chanel. Listen. In a membership group. Listen. Girl. I'm ready. So if you guys are ready for our group that starts in October, please make sure that you click the link in our show notes and we can't wait to see y'all. Cannot wait. Period. (laughs) Miss Allison. Hi, sir. Hi, doctor. (laughs) Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Awesome. How are you today? I'm great. I'm excited. I've been thinking about this because I love your show and you with your sister and I just, I dig it. And I love Revolt. Like I said, I, I won't be a part of Revolt family, you know? <laughs> Come through, yo. We need you. I was just telling you backstage, like, you know, it's like there are voices out there that we need more of. And I really yeah. feel as though like your story, your voice, especially as it relates to Black women and what you experience as a Black mental woman. Health, like, you girl. Need mental health. Call a thing, right. yes. Uh, child, what, what, I remember when I put it on Facebook when I first, you know, had my. We'll get dig deep, but yeah. I just remember putting it on Facebook, you know, telling people about my mental health, breaking that up. And so this woman inboxed me like, "Girl, I wouldn't have told nobody that." And how could you? And I said, "Let me tell you something. You broke your ankle last week. My brain broke. Period. And it's okay. 
And so let's just normalize this for real. The brain is in the body, just like everything else. Exactly. You know? So I just, that was my first time just kind of like putting it in perspective when she said that to me, like, I didn't really, I never saw anything wrong with it. I never felt embarrassed. I never felt any kind of way. I, I feel good about talking about it. So let's go. I love it because when we liberate ourselves from those stigmas, like we can liberate other people in the process. Like exactly. other people will be free from hearing your story. Exactly. Yes, I'm here for it. So tell us about you. Like who is Miss Allison? So let's see. I, so I don't know if you heard much about my dad. My dad was like, and I don't know, is my mic on? I don't think you're yes. hearing me in this mic. I think Actually, you're hearing me in the built-in mic. Okay. Um, my dad was a pediatrician, but he was at worked at the post office. When he and my mom got married, they both worked at the post office. And we were little when he was working at the post office. And I don't remember details, but I remember sort of around them talking about it as I got older that my dad wanted to buy my mom a car, like a really fancy car. And he was like, well, if I was a doctor, I could afford to buy her this car. And he was like, oh, let me take the MCAT. And so he took it and then went to medical school. We were young. There are pictures of him reading his medical school books while he's throwing a baseball to my brother and like present. And he became not only a, an amazing pediatrician, but the first black chief resident of pediatrics at Rush Presbyterian, which is one of the larger hospitals here. Started the David Jones Peck Society, which was a group of black doctors back in the day um, and served in private practice for over 40 years. And so when I look at my life, when you say my life was built around my family, my parents who've been married 61 years, um, my dad who cooked, who I learned how to cook and ended up going to culinary school. I was making duck a la orange at nine. I was making beef wellington at 10. At 12, I was making full breakfasts, lunch and dinners and creating dishes for my friends after school. Like I created a piece of bread. I should have I should have known how to trademark it or whatever. But, you know, learning stuff. My dad always said, do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And you can make a decision in a split second and just go after it. All yeah. all can happen is you can fail miserably and get back up and try it again or, or turn another corner and do something else. And so we were always taught like, you know, finish college, you get a car, you know what I'm saying? Do this, you can, you know, reward yourself or something, but just do it. And so my life has been, you know, when you see me on paper, it's like, God, are you 80? You know, I worked for the first black mayor of Chicago, mayor, the late mayor Washington. Wow. And I started off as an intern in the mayor's office of special events under my mentor, Sasha Dalton. And that's where I learned special events. I was, I learned the Taste of Chicago, I helped produce, the Blues Fest, the Jazz Fest, all those things. And then I remember being promoted over to Windy City Television and CHTV, which was our political television. And uh, his name is Michael, uh, I can't think of his name now. Oh gosh. Anyway, he's passed on, but mm -hmm. he promoted me and I went over to work with him. And he asked me, do you know how to use all this machine? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one day he came in late and he had on his tuxedo. He must have just forgot something at the office. I had been sleeping there for like three days trying to teach myself how to use this machine. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, OK, I know. Yep. Fired. Whatever. And he's like, no, what are you doing here? I said, I've been here. I'm trying to learn how to use this stuff. And back then it was called the character generator and like all this, you know, old fashioned stuff. He's like, you didn't know how to do it. How you been editing? Cause I've been, it takes me like five hours to edit like one show. And he literally was like, so you lied? I'm like, yeah, he goes, 
I like that in you. He undid his tie. He sat down. He spent an hour to teach me. He was like, because you were still delivering. Yeah. I, if I never came in this office and caught you, I'm you probably haven't slept. You know what I'm saying? You know, like showered. And he just loved the fact that I said it, but I also backed it up. You know yeah. what I mean? And if we take chances like that, when I speak to kids sometimes, um, I always tell them like the best part of a movie when the credits are rolling, <laughs> you know, because why you always got to be in front like those people, them gaffers, those, you know, key grips and all those people is rolling, man. That's a real career and that's longevity. And so that was my life. You know, after I left working for the mayor, I worked um, all the different festivals. I still produce a festival in Chicago called the African Fest is the largest African theme festival in the world. We get over 400,000 people over uh, Labor Day weekend. This is like our 36th year. And then I moved to Hollywood and I worked for Johnny Carson Productions for a show called A Man with Sherman Hemsley. Like the, the show, the classic show. With Clifton Davis. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then I worked on um, a show called Rock. It was originally called Rock and Reggie. Uh -huh. And I worked on the pilot. Um, so here's a funny story. So here's a funny story when I worked at, um, at, at Johnny Carson Productions, which was the production company for the show, Amen. I don't know if anybody knows that, but that was the show that Johnny Carson produced. And I remember cutting strawberries when I first started, everybody started as a production assistant on the low on the totem pole, y'all. We got to work our way up in Hollywood. And so I would cut these strawberries every day. It was Johnny Carson's friend. He, he might've been like 120 years old. I don't know. It was his older man he just sat in his office he didn't do nothing he was just his eyeballs and he just sat there watched tv and read the paper every day i would have to cut these strawberries take it to his office set it on his glass table and leave i did this for like at least four months every single day and at the end of the day i would remove these strawberries and he wouldn't have eaten one like not even a bite so i'm like one day I walked in and I had like a little attitude, like I'm tired of cutting these, you know, I'm 20 something like, it. and so I went and I set him down like a little attitude, like a little black girl snapping my neck and stuff. And I'm walking out. He goes, are you tired yet? I'm like, nah. everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Never say anything to me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, are you tired? Are you tired of cutting strawberries, setting it on a table and me not eating it? I'm like, you did? Yes, I'm tired. And he was like, so what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a writer. He said, then be a writer. And I'm like, wow. oh, okay. How do I do that? <laughs> and he was like, write a spec. Da, da, da. So I went home, wrote me a spec, gave it to executive producers. They made me a writer, a writer trainee first and then moved up. And that was my beginning. So when the show got canceled uh warren littlefield took over it was a man by the name of brandon tartikoff huge in hollywood he ran nbc for many years but he had his daughter had died in like a freak accident he just had depression and he had to quit and he came and he canceled all the shows on the network all the black shows his name is warren littlefield y'all and that's when these networks emerged back in the day called the upn mm -hmm. the wb and the cw and that's where all the black uh, projects were housed on these new networks that so, were built for minority programming. This is mind blowing. I literally just saw somebody posted a TikTok on this that's um, pretty much going viral right now about how like WB and UPN, like these stations were a result, like with all these black shows, it was a result of them 
canceling shows oh, like major networks honey oh, yeah well, they and were co-work for it. upn was one unwanted projects for ends mm. cw was colored work and wb was wasted black projects like oh. it was our own internal codes for what they were the people who worked in the industry yeah. and um you know so after a man got canceled everybody was you know going to the unemployment line like that's how it was and a woman by the name of Beverly Cashin. She was one of the first black female producers in television. I've been looking for this woman for over 30 years. I cannot find her. But she called me in her office. I always thought she was mean because I was this young little thing thinking I was just cute or whatever. And um, she said, sit down, close my door. I'm like, well, she can't fire me. We got canceled. She can't be, you know. So I'm sitting there, you know, probably popping my gum. Who knows? And she was just like, look, there's a show and it's called Rock and Reggie and i want you to be on the show and i'm like okay how much does it pay and she was like let me tell you something little girl don't ask about how much stuff is paid you got a job i don't have a job they were looking for a writer's assistant and so you got a job and so i was like oh okay she said go to this address and so she gave me this address i drove to it the next day or whatever this little old white lady opened the door and i walk in this huge house in beverly hills and i see all these emmys everywhere Wow. And I'm like, whose house is this? And I go in this room and a man by the name of Stan Daniels, you guys can Google him. He has over 25 Emmys. He created Taxi, Mary Tyler Moore, The Rota Show. He's laying in the bed because he just had hip surgery. And in the room were people like Bob Pete, who was a producer writer for Good Times, and Robert Isles, who created Silver Spoons. Like these were my rock stars. These were people that had legacies in television production. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, are you Allison? Like, yeah, okay. So I sit on the bed and that's where we created a show called Rock and Reggie. And it was always said that I, I slept in bed with Stan to create Rock and Reggie because I had to lay in the bed because there was no seats for me. So we laid in the bed. But um, so we start the pilot. So every time there's a pilot, we do what's called a table read. We're all around the table read and I sit down and I sit next to this woman called Robbie Reed, who is now VP of casting for BET, who's been my longtime friend. Hi, Robbie, for 35 years. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're Robbie Reed. Like she's like literally like the Beyonce of casting. And um, she's like, oh, my God, I don't know you. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, I'm Allison. I'm going to be on the show on Friday. You know, so we're sitting at the table and here's Charles Dutton, who created it. Reggie Cathy, who did piano lessons, and a kid by the name of Jamie Foxx, who's sitting at the table. Like and we, we start, and this is the pilot. So yeah. we start this whole table read, and Jamie was too funny. So next thing you know, Jamie's gone. Because remember, they brought him back to the show years later, mm -hmm. but he was on the first. He was going to play the brother, but he was too funny. And they let him go. He ended up staying in my house, sleeping on my floor, because he had nowhere to live. Wow. <laughs> and then we started reading and the chemistry for rock and reggie wasn't working so they all went in the back room came back out they said turn your scripts over everybody scratch scratch out the word reggie this is the first reading for a show called rock and the rest is history yeah. and so those stories are like and i have thousands of them i worked at william morris agency spike lee and i are good friends i did some work with him just when i think about some of the people that we look at now that's in Black Hollywood, like Denzel and Spike and Wesley Snipes and all these people. I ran Wesley Snipes' company for like eight years. We were in the graduating class together. So to us, it wasn't like, oh, that's Wesley, that's Denzel. That's... We were all together like you, like, like this generation, which I think is a little different 
um, we were all dreamers. You know, we all sat around and pieced together a meal. You bring the potatoes, I bring the wine, you bring the meat, you know, and talk about our dreams and how do we help one another, you know, get me on, put me on, what you doing, what you got. And that's what I think is missing now Mm -hmm. in this young culture, especially with reality television. I think what Shonda Rhimes did for network television with Scandal was mind-blowing, you know, broke down every barrier. And it kind of, it really touched my heart about how, where we were and how it ended. And then now where we're going, where we're seeing ourselves. I want to see more representation. I think we talked about it earlier and other programming than reality, but you know, it's, it's, I think there's going to be a major shift, a major shift with new media. I think, you know, first of all, your resume, you said like (laughs) 80, like what, what are you a hundred? Like you literally lived like two, three. I did it. I was a lot. (laughs) I managed my sister on top of it. And yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, so what was that like um, managing your sister? Um, And for those of the people who don't know, like, you know, your sister is Drew Sidora. Right. Yeah. Drew Sidora. That's her middle name, not her last name. It's Drew Sidora Jordan. But um, I managed her for 30, over 30 years. She lived with me in L.A. when she was eight years old. My mom left her with me. And I know there's like blog sites. I started Googling myself and stuff. And they have all these theories that that's really my daughter. <laughs> you know, like they I mean, people are really serious. I've done a couple of interviews like, come on, just be honest. I'm like, no, I was literally in the bed with my mom when the water broke. So Drew's mushy, gushy stuff was all over me. But I did not have her. She did not come out of my body. But um, she lived with me. I was 20 some years old with a child. She went to all my parties. I don't even know if I was I was taking her to bars. I was taking her everywhere. I didn't know. But um, it was a long journey. You know, I quit a lot. She fired me. It was hard. You know, it got hard. It got hard when she got into her 20s, when people started getting in her ear, when she started making decisions on her own, <laughs> you know, and she's like, I ain't got to listen to you no more, you know, and but we found our way back, you know, and I don't really call myself her manager anymore. I kind of like don't like that name anymore. Uh, I just I'm her advisor, but I still do the same thing as manager, but I just don't like it because like she'll listen to me. <laughs> So I'm her advisor that she don't listen to. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, it was it was a cool, it was a cool journey. I, yeah. I she has an amazing resume. I think I, I I think people don't really give her enough credit. I always call her the girl you know you don't know. You know, <laughs> the girl you don't know that you know because if you look at her resume, she was on everything was number one that she did, but she isn't considered like a huge star. But everything she did, that's so Raven number one show. Step Up, number one show. The Game, number one show. Wild Hogs, number one show. Like everything she ever booked her in, White Chicks, number one movie, has been number one. (laughs) But she doesn't do enough media. She's like a, she's like a person that just want to go to a nine to five and go to sleep. (laughs) You know, we were talking about that today. She's like, you know, I could be so much worried if I just go to these dang old red carpets and do more interviews, you know, because we just are humble people from Chicago. You know, we just want to do the work. We don't, Want to do all the hoopla stuff? And go along with that it. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So you have this this long resume of yeah. you know working on the hit show Rock and Amen and knowing all of these like you know celebrities working with Jamie Fox in his early his early years, Wesley Snipes, mm-hmm. and Spike Lee, like this yeah. laundry list of accomplishments. And well, I mean, like I said, we were all even playing field. 
you know, we were all dreamers and we were all like, I just wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to like run like I did, run Wesley Snipes company and, you know, produce and manage where they wanted to, you know, I remember Russell Simmons, he was on a bicycle, like driving down, you know, riding down Sunset, like I'm gonna have a record label, you know, it was like all of us were just dreamers and we, we, we went after those dreams, but we all held each other up. Like if you had an opening, we're coming, you know, if you, you know, like five people in the audience, you know what I'm saying? But, and that's the beauty of that generation, the generation that I was in. And not to say that there's not, but I don't see more collaborative stuff mm-hmm. in this generation where, you know, we could really do some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like, I mean, I love the fact that you're with Revolt. I love what he, I mean, who doesn't like, uh, what do they call him now? I mean, he's, you know, I was back, I went to uh, Sean P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, his first white party, honey, (laughs) back in the day. You know, he put white parties on the map. But, you know, what he does, you know, with employing us and giving us a shot. But you you don't find a lot of people like that. Spike Lee did it, you know. But if we did it like now, Tyler Perry does it. You know, but man, we get together. Whew, we could do well, we could do some big stuff. I, I'm your new adopted little sis, so we, <laughs> we can work together. To, you yeah, know. let's let's do some stuff, man. Yes. For real, right? I'm here for it. So, so as you were like transitioning from behind the scenes into where like we were introduced to you, which is on reality TV, Real Housewives of Atlanta, right? Um, what was your experience like with that? Um. You know, it was fluke. It was a fluke. Okay. I had I had just come. So I went into the psychiatric hospital in 2020 for 20 days. I was uh, writing a book. It was a pandemic. And I was just writing my book. It was going to be my journey in Hollywood, you know, like whatever. So I got a book deal and all this stuff from my past came up. I was molested at 10. I was molested at 12 and I was raped college in college. Like they he put a uh, like a date rape drug in my slushy. And then I was in an abusive relationship at 22 with my boyfriend who put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger and a bullet got lodged. And then he just beat the crap out of me. And so I went into the hospital, honey. I kept having panic attacks until I went into the emergency room and they were like, "Um, we're going to sign a petition. You're not leaving. You came here like 20 times. We've given you out of van. I spent 20 days in a psychiatric hospital with PTSD and depression and anxiety. And when I came home, my husband left me. He just literally got in a car and drove away. We would be together 11 years in January. We've been together tw- over 20 years. This is my best friend. This is a man I did everything with, everything. And it's still mind boggling to this day, like right now sitting here. I couldn't even talk about him like before this year. And so when he left, I buried myself into my podcast and doing mental health work because I had made a promise to God when I was in the hospital, there were nine days that were missing. And I just didn't know the psychiatrist was like, I've been talking to you for nine days. You were just like, I was gone. Mm-hmm. And I just said, God, you know, I'm gonna make a commitment to find out what happened to my brain and like normalize this. I don't know how it's gonna manifest, but I'm gonna do it. And everything that I've done has been literally supernatural. And I saw a picture of my husband 
on Instagram or somewhere. This girl that he's dating, uh, the many women, <laughs> was literally trying to make me see it because the girl was posting like like he was the mayor or something. I'm like, is he campaigning? Why? I got to see all these dang old pictures of him. And I thought I was okay, but I wasn't. And luckily, my brain gang, which are my producers and co-hosts, are made up of psychiatrists, my faith mentor, blah, blah. They noticed it and kind of did a mini intervention. So I went back into the hospital in October of 2022. I self-admitted for 22 days. No, it was actually 25 days. And um, to intentionally heal from the spirit of rejection and abandonment from my husband. So I chose that. <laughs> and I wasn't leaving the hospital until I was able to let go and let God <laughs> and just be okay, you know, with it. And when I got out, Drew said, come to Atlanta. Mom's here, come chill, be with your niece and nephew. And I also have social anxiety. So I went and then, you know, I'm chilling or whatever. And she's like, you know, the producer, like, you want to be in a scene? And I was like, sure, I guess, you know, and that's the scene that some people have said was one of the most authentic scenes, you know, where I was sitting on the couch and I kind of told Drew what I just told you. I hadn't talked about it. That's part of the stigma. Nobody really knew. My mom did, but Drew didn't know my other sisters. And so when I told her that story, cameras didn't even exist in that moment. I was talking to my sister about my life. And after that, the producers came out and they were like, oh, my God, on behalf of Bravo, that was amazing. You know, and would you mind like continue? I'm just like, sure. You know, and because I worked in television, you know, behind the scenes for so many years, yeah. I don't think of the, the, the cameras like I don't see them. Like I never saw them when I worked for them and I didn't see them then. So some of the stuff was just authentic. It was just like real. And plus, you, are, you have, you know, these mics on all dang on day. And so my experience was was it was good because i i was there for my sister i had her back you know i started noticing all this uh monkey foot tomfoolery that was going on <laughs> and i was i was like you said i was there for it and i was not having it because we are very close our family and when i started seeing stuff honey bye and i don't like fakeness i don't like i don't care who you are i don't really care like people are not going to treat people that way and what i see in that show there's a lot of people like you can yell, you can whatever, but we ain't leaving until we resolve the walking away stuff. Bring me back. You know what I'm saying? We gonna sit down and we're going to force ourselves to get through this conversation, period. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was cool. It was um, Drew was happy. And it was a lot of stuff that wasn't seen because we shot a lot. Really? We shot a lot of scenes, a lot of scenes. But I think that when the divorce got announced, I think they went back in and started editing some stuff. Like uh, okay. They're like, oh, let's take that one when they were going off on each other. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so well, I wonder, like, what were some of your like favorite moments, um, surprising moments, and like, yeah, what, what was that like? Um, I think one of my probably favorite moment was the health retreat, which a lot of people didn't really see. But Drew was like, since it was drama there, they were going to show it. <laughs> but that, but the, nobody saw like that Angie Stone sang to me. Nobody saw like uh, Latasha Lockhart. So there's this song called Why Not Me that I sang every day when I was healing. And I, I came out there and I thought they were playing a song and she was singing, Why Not Me? And I'm like, oh, and I was just crying. And, and then Kenya turned around and she was like, I see you. I see you. And I just broke down and all the women came around me and they hugged me and they just, we were just in this circle for a long time and just, just letting go. And this music was playing and Dietrich Hatton came and he sang and nobody saw like that. 
see that. That's what we needed Girl, to see. It was the bomb. And oh. like we did the meditation thing with uh, one of my mentors, Sister Jenna, who's like one of the world's most sought after spiritual leaders who I got to meet. Uh, she plucked me out of a million students and we just became friends i mean i she says we're friends but like how are you friends with sister jenna she'd be like no i'm my friend I'm like okay um, and i went to have dinner with her by myself i was like sweating <laughs> like, like you be trying to talk normal and she's like got this halo around her like yeah you know she like she's like the president's advisor like everybody the dalai Lama, i don't know the dalai Lama, like everybody you can google her oprah <laughs> And I'm just, but we're close. And she came and did this retreat and people were in this room, like crying and like letting, and they didn't show none of that. They show Candy crying a little bit, but those are my moments. Those were when we were really, really real. Yeah. Man, I, they like, should edit that whole retreat and make it like a special yeah. because people got like authentic and started talking about their situation, you know, about their own journeys, you know, so. See, this is what the people needed to see, like, because when we see other people healing, it helps to facilitate our own yeah. process. It normalizes it. It's yeah. like, really? I didn't know that. And I didn't know, you know, um, but that was it would have put everything kind of like balanced it a little more. But um, so, yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes. And then just being with Drew, it was scenes that nobody saw. But, you know, and Ralph. <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, what was your not so favorite scene? Ralph. Okay. When he said that shit in the, I'm sorry, can I curse? In, yep. in the kitchen when he was like, your sister called you a bitch. And I had said something and didn't make the cut because I was like, if I call her a bitch, you would have already told her. She would have already known, Mr. I need a peach. Yeah, it was a lot. And a lot of that was very real. Like okay. there was stuff. First of all, I wasn't supposed to be in that scene. So why are you bringing me in it? I had already shot my scene earlier. And I was in the kitchen. We were legitimately making tacos and margaritas. And, and it was a Friday because <laughs> you saw her assistant was like cooking with her back. And she 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 didn't have makeup on web. She go, they gonna see my butt the whole scene because I did not know they were bringing these cameras. <laughs> so she was over there like she was stirring. She like, <laughs> and so we were like, are you kidding me? So when Drew walked in because they were upstairs shooting their scene. So when Drew walked in and sat down, I'm like and she was like, I'm like, oh, my God, what? Is going with you and so then here comes ralph mr i'm acting for the camera so i see him walking in and here come the cameras i'm like here we go so i for a long time they sat there and talked and i was just washing dishes and i didn't even know i was holding that knife when i was talking <laughs> I was just so tired. and then here he come bring dragging me into y'all stuff yeah and then i'm there i'm like since, since you dragged me i've arrived and i got something to say right and that was it so and after that i had something to say the whole time one thing about big sisters, we don't play about our little sisters. I'm going to just yeah. that right there. <laughs> so is your sister your little sister? Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. 
It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Twins? We're twins, but I'm the older one and I have a younger sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're going to play about our little sister. Well, it's three of us. Well, four girls and one boy, but I'm the oldest of the girls and my brother's two years older than me. So yeah. I knew it. You got that big sister energy. I, I, I knew it. Sister, yeah, although, I don't know. My younger sister, Edila, she be bossy. She be bossy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one, but yeah. yeah. So I know there was um, some controversial comments made about mental health. Yes. And specifically you. Yes. Um, and I wanted to get your perspective on it because really it just continues to reinforce that stigma concerning like, Girl. You know, well yeah. I want to thank Candy Burris and speak on it for saying that because that gave me more eyeballs I mean the whole point was that when she said it and had mm-hmm. fake cousin Courtney on there um unverifiable fake, fake cousin Courtney I am um, living I'm living <laughs> <laughs> unverifiable fake cousin Courtney I was you know the reason it was so bigger than what it was because I feel like if they didn't remove the show it wouldn't have gotten so much heat, but because we removed it. Mm -hmm. And I woke up to 10 calls from different blogs. Like, we want to interview you. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear? And I'm like, what? Who said what? I'm asleep, but what's happening in the world? And then make it make sense. Mims, he called me and he had been calling me before that happened anyway, to be on his show. And he was like, so, you know, they removed it. And I'm like, remove what? And he told me, but somebody grabbed it before it was removed. And he sent it to me. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, yes, I'll do the interview. You know what I'm saying? Because it was like, oh, my God. And that was the second time I heard Candy say, well, she's normal. She looks normal. And I'm just like, what in the heck is normal, girl? You were crying at the health retreat. You were stressed out. Like, what is normal? Why are we saying this word? But then I realized that people are just ignorant. And that is my purpose. That's why God gave me this mantle. That's why I have this assignment, because I will be stigma busting and normalizing it and so when courtney was saying all that ignorant stuff like all that mental health girl and something about tequila and drinking she ain't see me first of all she was drinking vodka talking about my nephew and all the stuff she was when she didn't know the mic was hot when did she ever say so i had to put my receipts up it was it just it just went on and on but because she removed it it gave me an opportunity to just it was like god just magically orchestrated it it was like so here's my purpose thank you god because now I can freely talk about this, freely address this, because this is what happens when people say things to people who suffer in silence, they stay silent. <laughs> they yes. don't, that's the stigma. So I am speaking for those who cannot speak for themselves. I'm yes. on the board of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm QPR certified in suicide prevention. I just saved four people from blowing their brains out in the last two weeks. I do this. This is not something that's for show. I in the emergency room getting people to intake. You know, I have a partnership with the very hospital I was in. It's run by a black woman named Allison. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a mental health first aider national for adults and youth. So I'm a peer to peer support group facilitator. So I get on Zoom with these support groups with NAMI in the state in 30, 50 something people are on there and, and I'm a peer facilitator. So I'm not a therapist. I'm only facilitating from what I know and from how I was trained. Exactly. And that is where I see suicidal ideation. This is where we see, you know, 
kids don't want to talk about it. I made myself vulnerable and I'm going to continue to make myself vulnerable like this. I'm going to go first, y'all. <laughs> I'm just going to put myself out there and then y'all can come after me. Y'all just stand behind. And so for people to say that, if I wasn't in this place and it was like maybe two years ago or three years ago, it would have been very hurtful. I could have spiraled back into depression. Yeah. Um, you know, it could have, I could have been crying and been like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe. But because I'm here with a purpose, every time somebody wants to say something, I'm just going to address it. And I'm going to address it properly. Nami made a statement behind me, which was, you know, people are like, well, you know, Candy has a big step platform. You're not going to outweigh the National Alliance on Mental Health platform. You're not going to outweigh the 75 million people in America who suffer from mental illness. You're not going to outweigh the 173 million people <laughs> that had, have suffered from depression. I'm sorry. You know, this is a new pandemic. So hello, we're here. We're not going anywhere until we start talking about it. Miss Allison came through with the stats. You said how many? 173 million? Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's one out of two people will suffer a mental health problem in their lifetime. One out of two. So between me and you, I already did it. <laughs> between Candy and Courtney on that show, which one? <laughs> Trying to know which one, but we already know. So, yeah. Oh, I cannot. Okay. That was <laughs> <laughs> like you're you're 100 right. Um, I think we're in this era where mental health is becoming like one of those buzz topics. Yeah. Like forefront people are like yeah you know check on your strong friend and all the, the good things to say right but then like in our closed conversations or on the podcast or whatever like we're saying things like oh you don't look like you have mental illness or you know like I, I think she said something along the lines of like I can't you know hit the lady with the mental illness or I can't fight yeah, I can't I can't fight no mentally ill woman yeah like that that's and what I say you can't fight me because you just can't fight my thing is uh <laughs> I and to say mentally ill woman, what does that mean? I'm a person who has come forward to talk about my mental illness experience. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I even on the show a couple of weeks ago, I let the world see my my um, brain scan. And so I have a diamond pattern, which was very rare. Uh, and we gave out free brain scans to all the ladies. They, they cut that out of the mental health retreat. I provided free brain scans. They're worth $5,000 a piece. And not only do they scan your brain, you do this whole six hour assessment. You got to take all these tests on this computer and follow the ball and do all these different things. Wow. And my diamond pattern, which was like so rare that all the psychiatrists like, oh my gosh, she has a diamond pattern. Everybody ran to the room like it was like rare. Is very, very, uh, very, very indicative of a person who's living with PTSD. So if you probably look at war veterans, they have a diamond pattern. So I have PTSD, like it's real. But because we are not streamlining the brain scan as a normal screening, as we go for our cardiology, we go for our colonoscopy, you know, people are on dialysis because of kidney function, whatever. And I have some legislation that I'm working on to sort of push that brain scans be covered by some of our managed health care. And we started making that part of our, you know, wellness checks mm -hmm. because I had a frontal lobe injury. I don't know. I probably fell off my bike when I was a little girl. I was in a car accident. You don't know if you have a, yeah. a brain hemorrhage that's about to go, an aneurysm that's boiling and cooking. You don't know anything, but we can look at everything else 
but because these insurance companies want to keep these spec scans and that's what you need not a ct or mri a spec scan is going to actually look inside the brain not the external skeletal part of it mm -hmm. and so we have to look at our brain health because our brain health is the operational centerpiece of our whole being when someone has a stroke what is it it's a it's a, it's a brain it goes to the brain the brain and the heart connection is real so that's what i want I want people to stop talking mentally ill da, 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 and all that stuff. We start, start saying mental health or brain health because it's brain health. Which which leads to the brain truth, which is a yes. podcast and your platform. Yes. I'm here for it. And and how this came about was I was I was laying in my bed when I came out the hospital in 2020 and a friend of mine who was at iHeart and I don't have iHeart. It should be oh, over here. iHeart should be right here. <laughs> put it there. Um, he was like, I need you to cover for my podcast. I'm like, I ain't covering for your podcast. I'm depressed. My husband left me. I'm in the bed. He was like, no, I need you. And so I'm like, for what? He's like, my house burned down. His name is Roman Moro, the driver five. So I was like, he talked to me two weeks. I'm like, fine. And so I brought my mom. I interviewed her because it was safe. She drove me. <laughs> and they were like, we love you. We love you. And I came back the next week. So they took me in a conference room and they're like, we want you to do your own podcast. And there's a hospital that wants to sponsor it. But black people don't want to talk about mental health. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going back home, I'm going back to bed, honey. And so uh, I said, well, what's the name of the hospital? And they told me the name of the hospital. And it was a hospital I was in. Wow. It was a hospital that I had made a promise to God. It was a hospital that I lost my memory. And I sat there. And I mean, I can't tell you the tears that got in my eyes. I'm like, God, <laughs> okay, it's me. And so she said, really, what are you, what are you gonna call it? I just said, the brain truth, cause I wanna talk about mm -hmm. the plain truth. And we started, we had 40 shows and we put many people into therapy. My brain gang are therapists, psychologists, clinicians. They're all part of the brain gang. You can be a part of the brain gang. Anybody can be part of the brain gang. And what we do is we put them in our resource page. And what I'm trying to do is because there's a shortage of mental health nationally, mm -hmm. waiting lists are like six months. I'm on a waiting list. And um, I had. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. The brain gang commit to at least so many hours per month and sort of like your sort of like a sorority. <laughs> I mean, that's your that's your thing. And so we were able to sort of and my charity is called the bridge, the brain truth bridge. And we are the bridge between you get medication management. We're the bridge before you because a lot of people they get sicker, they're waiting. You know, my my uh, PCP was filling my antidepressant for me, you know because psychiatrists are medication management. They give us 10 minutes of their time. And then you've got, you know, your clinicians who are overworked after the pandemic, you know, 65% of mental illness went up, you know? So it's one to 30,000 people waiting, one therapist to 30,000 people waiting to get seen. And so if you're sitting here calling me mentally ill girl, honey, let me tell you, I have processed uh, Cook County uh, judges I have processed CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Hello. I have processed police officers. I have celebrities. So we all mentally ill people. And if that's how you want to degrade it, so be it. But I would love to see some of the people who make these comments a scan of their brain. We don't know anything until we know. <laughs> you know, so <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> the brain oh, the brain truth. <laughs> 
Um, and my last question, Miss Allison. So you had brought up uh, ha needing to heal from the spirit of rejection and abandonment. Yeah. And I want you to kind of like talk about that a bit. Um, yeah. yeah. So this could be controversial, you know, because I know way too much about the brain, um, but I do. And but at the end of the day, what I've learned in my journey is that healing is just not cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's not talk therapy. It is also faith. It is nutrition. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, God. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about my depression, my anxiety, some of that stuff is connected to brain health and some of that stuff is spiritual. Some of that stuff it's is in relationship with God. Say it again. Some of it is some of it is spiritual. And so and so when I talk about the spirit of rejection and abandonment, it was attacking me. When I say I was on, I remember I had to go live because my, my podcast was live, but I think now, no, we're just doing, since I'm in pre-production for the TV show, I'm like, we're just going to record it, you no know, camera, uh, pre-record, because it was a lot of stress to be live. So I just remember having to be live and it was one of the biggest shows and I was on the floor in my living room just crying. I had missed my husband. I was going like any heartbroken woman would be. Um, and I got on the phone with my mom's friend who just prayed that off of me and it sustained me for a while until I was able to deal with it. And I, the day that I went into the hospital, I promise you, I was over here rebuking. I was having panic attacks every night, every day. And if anybody's ever experienced an anxiety, a panic attack, it is like it, people are like, can't you just no? it comes out of nowhere. Yes. It just, you, you know, your heart rate, you got tachycardia, your heart rate is raising. And I literally remember, this is no lie. And I have people who witnessed my therapist had just come by. I had never seen her in, in person. And I left the door open. And I remember my godmother calling me because I had lost like 60 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was a bone. And I remember something just wrapping around me whoop, 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 like that. And I couldn't breathe. And I, I, I remember saying like, I'm about to die. And I got in the ambulance and I remember them talking as if they were preparing for my death. My heart rate was 196. Oh my goodness. So 20, you're gone. Your blood vessels can erupt. So I just remember being there saying, no weapon formed against me should prosper. Lord, I'm sorry. I'll be more obedient. Da, da, da. And I, when I got to the hospital, it was down in 96. And that's when I called and like, I'm coming back. And I chose because if I'm going to let this situation and God has this for me, I've got to get rid of that. I've got to get rid of the spirit mm -hmm. that's holding me because when God puts something on you and you have a mantle and an assignment and a responsibility, mm -hmm. trust and believe me, the enemy and the adversaries will come knocking faster and harder than ever. And I know now anybody that's going through a heartbreak or any kind of thing, I say this with the utmost truth. Mm -hmm. God, he didn't remove my husband. He did me a favor. My God. He didn't remove him. He placed me mm. and I would not be sitting here talking to you. I would not be having the brain truth. I would not be on Atlanta housewives talking about mental health. When you are used at the capacity to make change in this world and you find your purpose, I don't care how old you are, you sit in that. And I don't care how long it takes for you to cry and you to hurt and you to pain. It's easier for me to say the other side is, is, is amazing. But when you mix faith into therapy, into eating right, your life will have a rounded balance. I live in the will of God. I have been celibate since my husband left three years ago. I am still married. I still have a covenant until I'm divorced. 
I still love my husband. I'm still waiting for my husband. I'm waiting for him. I know he needs deliverance, you know, but as long as I keep doing my assignment and I keep being obedient to God, God is going to show up when it's his time. And so that I know for sure. Yeah. I wish I could just reach through this screen. And <laughs> down. For real. It's real. No, it really is. Um, you know, it's, I know you said it's controversial. It's real. Like this is reality. When we mix our faith. Some people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. When I was going through it, I remember my mom, who's a pastor. Yeah was like you just gotta have faith your faith you know she was saying all this and you don't want to hear that when you like having a panic attack you depressed mm -hmm. my faith is fine whatever and it isn't now about faith it's like if you can't even get up and wash your butt if you can't even eat depression is debilitating yes i can't i don't know have you ever experienced depression first with grief yes over the past few months um after experiencing this this grieving process it's it's been real so you've been going through a grieving? Yes. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll talk online. I'm not yeah. ready to talk about and then my, my, You know, my dad just passed away. And really? he was literally my hero. I worked for my dad by his side for over 20 years. Wow. I was literally his nurse. I was, I charted for him. I saw patients with him. And um, I was holding his hand when he took his last breath. Mm -hmm. And again, if I wasn't in this place, and, and when you when you really like go through, I, I tell people my back wasn't up against the wall. My back was in the wall. <laughs> you have no other choice but to call out to God. You have no other choice but to surrender yourself to the will because you could either go down all the way down. And that's why when people say stuff, you have to really be connected to source to know certain things just don't come out of a temple that's prepared. You know, I didn't even know. I called my mother when they she tried to close that door on me and i thought i had cursed her i don't even know i was just kind of like what's happening you know what i'm saying i was like was am i disassociating what happened because i was just like overwhelmed but when you your temple is connected to source when i when i looked back at it i never used the profanity i just repeated what she said i didn't insult her i just stood strong and we i was in bible class the other day and they were like you know when people come for you whatever you got to be all like oh you know pray no you don't Jesus turned over the tables in the tabernacle, honey. You stand close to your enemy and you fight them with the love of God. Like, no, no way. I don't know what you're going to do, but what you're not going to do. Come you on. know what I'm saying? You have no authority here <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so that's what I, I'm, I'm taking that stand. And like I said, I'm fighting for all of these people that can. Like, you know, we're not doing that today. Yeah. Because when you look at people like Twitch, what could he have been saying this is how our culture was built because we have to go somewhere in private and feel ashamed and feel you know when that girl jumped off people were like well that beautiful model jumped off the building she had all this going for her blah blah no i read her story her diagnosis meant she should have never been alone if we knew brain health it's like if somebody said i broke my leg they're not gonna say can you run downstairs Right. If you say you're blind, okay, you come pick me up in your car. But if somebody has a diagnosis which requires them not to be alone because it's unpredictable, like people with CTE, one of the uh, the symptoms is uh, suicidal ideation. One of the love of my life, Dave Dorson, shot himself in the heart so mm -hmm. that he can donate his brain to science. He knew it, you know. So when people say she did this and she, oh, you're so beautiful and this and that, be careful of the words that come out of your mouth because 
No, her mother knew what her diagnosis was. And and whoever was her physician should have said, look, this is what, you know, when I left the, the, the psychiatric hospital, something else that I'm fighting for, I, I, part of my legislation, is what are the packets that we're taking home? If I had the flu, they'll give you something, you're discharged, yep. you're gonna drink some soup, da, 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 drink liquids, you have a bladder infection. But when I left, I just left, like, okay, I'm home. And everybody go, what? she okay, what's she doing? Everybody whispering, is she all right? What? I'm go like, I'm just like, oh, like I'm this crazy person that came out of the hospital. Yeah. But, because there's no roadmap, there's no instructional right. manual for you. So right. on my pot, on my website, thebraintruth.com is where I have these resources, these discharge packets, like, how to care for your loved one if they're diagnosed with this if they came home from the hospital this is how you treat them you don't ignore them let them sit over there by themselves it's the re-entry into the world that's harmful well we're in a hospital it's great it's not it is not like one flew over the cuckoo's nest everybody ain't walking into walls with straight jackets on mm -hmm. it looks just like a college dorm it's like mm -hmm. you got your room you eat nice food you go to music <laughs> You know, you go to are there actually they take your phone like a resort. <laughs> All they needed was a jacuzzi, honey, and a tan, a tan spot. Come back like yes, but we're getting well. We're we're confronting it. When we come home, that's when all the people say the stupid stuff, you know, and that's where things go. What? <laughs> so and yeah, that that's why I love the work that you're doing because you are providing the resources that people need in yeah. order to um, overcome mental health and also like how you can inform families to be there for their loved ones when they are discharged. Um, so Ms. Allison, I know we're approaching our time, but can you come back? Because I want us to talk more about the spirit of rejection and abandonment. Yes, we're going to. Oh, I'm coming back. OK, because I have to. Oh, I can let you hear a recording from Prophet June who prophesies everything that I'm doing three years ago. And I thought the woman was crazy. I was like, no, I ain't doing no radio. Nope, not doing no TV. Nope, not going to Atlanta. It's on, it's timestamp when she did oh it. Goodness. And it's mind blowing. And uh, she's one of my mentors, one of my teachers, one of my producers. Yeah. No, we're going to dig into all that. Yes. <laughs> I'm coming back, yo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you. I appreciate you yes of course i appreciate your time can you tell the people where they can find you you can find us at thebraintruth.com our new season starts november 28th um this month is depression awareness month the month of october mm -hmm. and on instagram at the brain truth and allison jordan 411 well, thank you all right, y'all. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoyed the broadcast and make sure that you guys stay on the lookout for when Miss Allison comes back. God bless. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.